Welcome to the Ghostly Gallery Podcast. It's a place where we explore the world of horror in film, television, books, and popular culture. Hello, everyone. My name is Bruce Markison, and as always, I'm joined by producer and co-host Tracy Asteria. Normally, I begin the program by asking Tracy uh, how you're doing. I know you're not doing that great because you have been through a monster of a winter (laughs) weather storm. Tell us about it. Oh, monster is a really good term. Um, we're calling it Snowmageddon, possibly. <laughs> it, it's been a nightmare the last three days. I live in northern Nova Scotia, and we have had over five feet of snow in a three-day time span. And there are pockets of snowdrifts that are 7 to 12 feet high in the neighborhood. So it's been a wacky, tiring, Advil-induced three days. <laughs> it's amazing you're with us tonight. <laughs> I'm here in spirit. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're glad you're safe and you're okay and that it finally did stop snowing there. Uh, yeah. Here where I live, it has been a surprisingly mild winter. And uh, also, I guess it's pretty mild right now for our guest who I'm going to introduce. Our guest this week is a friend of ours. He's a writer, blogger, Hammer Films enthusiast, Dan Day. Uh, Dan writes the Hitless Wonder movie blog. We'll tell you about that later. He has also worked for years as a volunteer at the annual Monster Bash Conference in Pennsylvania. It's one of the best horror conventions in the country. Really well run. And Dan's part of that. And at Monster Bash, Dan has gotten to know a number of actors and actresses. We'll talk about some of the friendships he's developed there. Dan, welcome to the Ghostly Gallery. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me here. I I do want to say one thing. I've never actually been a volunteer at Monster Bash. I've been a uh, attendee. (laughs) That's, That's basically more of an accurate description. Oh, okay. Well, you are a big part of what goes on there. I've been to, I think, three Monster Bashes, and I'm I'm always impressed by how organized, how well done everything is. Ron Adams is the man who heads it up and, and really does a fine job. This year's Monster Bash is going to be a little bit later than normal. It's going to be in July, July 19th to the 21st, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we proceed So, Dan, with a lot of our guests, we like to ask them about how they first became interested in horror. For you, when did that happen? Was it a specific film or a TV show or a book? Tell us about that. Well, um, I guess really everything sort of goes back to Star Wars, which I saw when I was like eight years old. I was I'm an original Star Wars fan. I was absolutely obsessed with that film. I mean, that that's the film that made me an overall film buff. And when you're a kid at that age, eight, nine, 10, whatever, <clears throat> you're into science fiction and, and horror and monsters. And speaking of Hammer Films, which we will be speaking of, <clears throat> at that time, when I first saw Star Wars, like I said, I was absolutely obsessed with everything about it. And of course, back then, you didn't have the internet. You, you had toys and, you know, trading cards and stuff like that. But this was the late 1970s. And at that time, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, they hadn't really made a lot of films. Uh, and what they did make were films that as me as a kid, I wasn't all that interested in, but I found out that Peter Cushing, who was of course in star Wars, he made all these monster movies and all these science fiction movies. So that's when I started watching them. 
I started, you know, any anything science fiction, anything horror monsters. That's what I was getting into as a little kid. And I was a huge fan of Sven Gulli. And of course, Sven Gulli now is nationally known through MeTV. But in the 1980s, when I really started watching him, he was out of Chicago, a UHF station called Channel 32. Anyone who's in the Midwest in the Great Lakes area will recognize that. That was the, in my opinion, the golden age of Sven Gulli because he showed everything. I mean, he showed Universal, he showed Hammer, American International, Toho. Um, that that was my film school. You know, people ask me, I, I, how come you know so much about old movies? Well, I went to the University of Sven Gulli, basically, but that, that's really where I saw these movies for the very first time. And so that, Tracy, that, um, Dan is one of you, Star Wars. That is That is right up your alley. Yep, Star Wars and Star Trek, absolutely. Those are amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, back then, Channel Thirty Two, they not only sh- they not only showed Spenguli, they showed Star Trek and Lost in Space, and uh, you know, Channel Nine out of Chicago. They showed Twilight Zone. I, I watched all that stuff when I was a kid. So that that was basically my education right there. If it was like science fiction, weird monsters, that's what I watched. I was a uh, a geek before that even that term even came into being. Yeah. So now, Dan, he was not the original Sven Gulli. There was a, another guy that came before him. Did you watch? Yeah, that? that that was that was way before my time. There was a Sven Gulli in the early 1970s, and and I and every once in a while I still refer to Sven as the son of Sven Gulli because that's the moniker he went under in the 1980s. Yeah, that's what I knew him as, and. The story goes in the 1990s, Rich Coase, that's the guy who's really Sven Gulli. Uh, the original Sven Gulli told him he, when Son of Sven Gulli, or the Sven Gulli now, came back in the 1990s on another UHF station out of Chicago, the original Sven Gulli said, well, I think you're old enough. You don't have to call yourself the Son of Sven Gulli. So he became, he became Sven Gulli. But yeah, when I was watching him, he was the Son of Sven Gulli. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll, post on Saturday is what Sven Gulli's movie of the week is. And sometimes you will we'll get a critical comment from somebody saying they don't like him. He's too corny. The jokes aren't funny. That's oh, yeah. the whole thing. That that's it's meant to be corny. No, it's, 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 it's meant to be silly. And and the thing of it is, and of course I'm biased towards the guy because I've been literally watching him basically my entire life. And that's where I I saw all these movies for the very first time. So there's that kind of magic element when you see something for the very first time, where you see it at, you know, it means much more to you. But if you really look at Sven and watch the show, yeah, he, he does have corny jokes and, and, but he grew up in the, in the era of classic television where that was, that was the type of humor. It was, it wasn't social humor or political humor it wasn't humor to be sarcastic or to show off how smart you are. It was just everyday mainstream, everybody, you know, that type of humor with it. It appeals to everyone because that's what classic television did. Because, of course, back then he only had three networks. Yeah. And that, that was what it was geared for. It wasn't geared to make anybody angry or make anybody feel left out. And once again, you watch the shows he's he's wants you to laugh with him he's, he doesn't want you to, he, he points certain things out in the movie yes i mean i'm i usually take part in the what is called the sven the sven tweetathon you know a bunch of people go on twitter or x or whatever you call it now and we we tweet during the show we put in our own little jokes and we make you know fun of the movies but at the same time 
if it wasn't for Sven Gulli, especially now, I mean, I mean, think about this. He's showing movies from the 1930s sometimes on, on a primetime slot Saturday night. And he and he's getting pretty decent ratings compared to what's going out there. So I think if you're a film buff, instead of being offended that this guy made a joke about this movie, you should appreciate the fact that he's showing these films. And and MeTV is is nationwide now. Oh yeah, he, he's he's allowing these films to be shown by people, and a lot of people probably would have never seen these films unless he didn't show them. Absolutely. He's carrying on the tradition. Dan, one of my favorite parts of his show is when he comes up with a song. Oh, yeah. That, I think, is hysterical. I think that is really funny. And, you know, he writes the show. I mean, he, you know, that he's he's been doing that for years and years, and he's the only one that, you know, I mean, for the most part, I think there's a little bit more people help him now that he's with MeTV. But when I was watching him back in the 1980s, what I really loved about it, it, it had this kind of ragged off the wall you know we're making this up as we go along type of quality there's a lot of uh if you go on youtube there's a lot of clips of him back in the 1980s and once again that to me is i think is his golden period i'm not saying i don't like what he's doing now but but uh, it the the show that he does now is a bit more polished it's a bit more mainstream i guess you could say it's it's I mean, it's still funny, but in the 1980s, I mean, he was just doing all sorts of like crazy weird things. If you ever seen the film UHF with Weird Al Yankovic, that's literally what Sven Cooley was back in those days. And it was hilarious. And for a kid like me, you know, you got this crazy guy doing all this funny stuff and he's showing, you know, all these old monster movies that I was getting into. I mean, that was like Nirvana for me. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's it's a little more scripted now. There's more editing. There's more pre-production. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's fun. I, my family thinks I'm crazy. My daughter walks in and rolls her eyes at the material. But uh, it, maybe it's an acquired taste. But I think I guess we both have it. One last question on him, Dan. Have you ever met him? Oh, yeah. I've met him about three or four times. Yeah. He does a lot of uh, conventions in Chicago and uh and whenever he does a convention, trust me, the, the people just line up for, I mean, he literally has to cut people. They have to cut the lines off. He, he has to tell people, I'm only going to be here like a certain amount of time because he just, yeah, he, he fills the place. I mean, he's, he's, he's an icon, especially in the Midwest. Seems like a good guy. Oh yeah, he is. He's, he's a pretty decent guy. Yeah. Dan, let's talk a little bit about how you became involved with Monster Bash, because you're originally from Chicago. I believe you mentioned that you live now in South Bend. Well, actually, so, actually, I was born I was born in South Bend. Oh, you're born in South Bend. Yeah, okay. yeah. And you're still. I, I, I spent plenty of time in Chicago, but yeah, I was I, I I was born in South Bend. I basically lived in the South Bend area for most of my life. Okay, so how does a guy from the Midwest end up becoming such? Uh, a loyal part of Monster Bash, which is in Pennsylvania. You make that long trek every year. Yeah, it's for me, it's not really too bad a, a trek because it's about five, six hours, depending on how fast I go. <laughs> because basically all I have to do is get on the Indiana Toll Road, which is not that far from me. The toll road turns into the Ohio Turnpike, which turns into the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And the area where they hold Monster Bash, they've held it at a couple different hotels. But it, it's literally like right off of the, the exit is right, right off the turnpike. So it's a pretty easy drive. But I had been going to conventions in in Chicago. I've been to C2E2. 
the Flashback Weekend convention in Chicago, G-Fest, which is the Godzilla convention. And I had always, for whatever reason, I just hadn't made it out to Monster Bash. And I, it was 2013, I believe, the summer Monster Bash. That was the first Monster Bash I went to. And that was where I first met Veronica Carlson. I think um, uh, Donnie Dunnigan, I think, was there. I think John Saxon was there. Really? I met Greg Mank for the first time. And it, it, it just blew me away because, you know, you, you're seeing all these people. Greg Mank, I'm reading his books since I was a teenager. And there he is. And he's talking to you. And, yeah. And being a Hammer fan, I had never met anyone that was actually connected with Hammer. And to, and to meet Veronica Carlson, that was like, meeting the queen that was like meeting royalty so that that was the beginning of it all and i've been going basically ever since i i think i've missed a couple of the fall bashes and of course they didn't have one in 2020 but what i really love about monster bash and what ron and his team do like i said i've been to a lot of the bigger conventions in chicago and and in indianapolis because i'm basically about as far away from Indy as I am from Chicago and the, the bigger conventions, especially now there it's, it's like, it just stresses you out. You spend most of your time standing in line. You got to figure out who you're going to go see. And, 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 and the, the cost of everything has gotten to be ridiculous. The autograph cost is, is in, you know, you're, you're paying 50, 60, $70. And you're lucky if the person you're getting the autograph from even looks at you, and at Monster Bash, it's much more down home. It's much more of a community type of thing. And, and you get a chance to actually interact with people. Yeah. Not, not you know, the guests, the, the the writers and the artists that are there. It's it's much more fun. It's much more homey, I guess you could say. I want to talk a little bit about what you've done at Monster Bash. You you mentioned that you're not a volunteer, but you you kind of help out the actors and actresses and uh, make sure that their needs are attended to. So you're you're pretty active with this. Well, I was kind of helping out Veronica the last the last time she was there, and I've I've helped out Josh Kennedy with some things. Um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm more basically just just a regular attendee. So yeah. they they know who I am basically. But that's that's the other great thing about Monster Bash. Everybody. You know, you when you go there, it's getting the point now when I go there, it's not so much to actually get autographs or, or buy stuff. It's it's just to see people, you know, I mean, I talk to them or interact with them on the Internet, but to actually see them, you know, in real life, it's it's almost like a, a family reunion in a sense. Yeah. Let's talk more about Veronica Carlson. You were the one who introduced me to her. I I met her. Just a few months, actually, before she passed away, and we were all stunned to hear the news of her passing. It was yeah. two years ago, February of 2022. But I could tell the two of you, you really were true friends. You were very close. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of hard for me to even talk about her without getting, you know, she was she was a good friend to me. And where that started, I had met her before at, at, at Monster Bashes. and. I have, I was uh, given the fantastic opportunity by Josh Kennedy to be a part of his film, House of the Gorgon, which he shot in March of 2018 <clears throat> down in Texas where he lives, Edinburgh, Texas, which is almost right on the border. And 
he got Caroline Monroe, Martine Beswick, Veronica Carlson, and Christopher Neem, who was in Dracula AD 1972. He got them all to be in this film and to come to Texas. And he enabled me to be a part of that. And it was an incredible experience, a very hectic experience because it was all in one week, which is not something I think Josh really wanted, but that's just how the way it worked out. And like I said, I had met Veronica before. Obviously, she's not going to remember every person that she meets at a convention because she did a number of them. And uh, the first day I was down there, everybody kind of like took a break from the filming and the filming was at a banquet hall, like an event center. And Veronica was just sitting there all by herself at a table, uh, getting something to eat. And I asked, do you mind if I sit down next to you? And she's no, no, please. And I started talking to her. And the next thing you know, we, we became friends and that, that's, I mean, that's once again, you, I was this nerdy kid watching Dracula's risen from the grave for the very first time on Svengoolie in like 1985. And and if you had told me, Oh yeah, that beautiful blonde there, she's going to be your friend. I'm like, there's no way, but it, it happens. So, yeah. Well, I could tell she was the kind of person that it didn't matter if you were a celebrity or not a celebrity. She was open to being uh, cordial and friendly and, and accepting. And that's one of the great things I love about the horror community is that so many of the actors and actresses are like that. And I think uh, Veronica really embodied that. She was outstanding in, in those two Hammer films. You mentioned Dracula has risen from the grave and then Frankenstein must be destroyed. Tell us a little bit more about being the set on the set of House of the Gorgon and what that was like. Well, once again, <clears throat> Josh, Josh Kennedy the esteemed Josh Kennedy, or I like, I like to call him the Orson Welles of Edinburgh. He's, (laughs) he got this, this event center. Um, I I cannot remember the name of it. I'm sorry. Uh, Recreation center, because once you get, once again, this is like down near the border near Mexico and um, Mexican Americans, they, they do a lot of festivals. They do a lot of personal events, family wise. They're, they're very much into family. So, that's one of the reasons the center is there so they can all get together. And the center had, you know, obviously public bathrooms and restrooms and that sort of thing. And, and Josh was able to, with some of the people that helps him out in his movies, he was able to take certain sections of the center and actually make them into sets. Mm. So he basically had everything he really needed. And <clears throat> it, it was just, um, um, I helped him out any way I could. It wasn't like I was, you know, a professional filmmaker or anything like that. I just did the best I could. But every once in a while, I just had to sort of stop myself and think, you know, there's Caroline Monroe and there's Martine Beswick and there's Veronica Carlson and they're, yeah. ma- they're making a movie and I'm watching this. It's It was uh, absolutely amazing because they never – and this includes Christopher Neem, none of them ever acted like this is beneath me or they never treated anybody like, you know, who are you or or they, yeah. they were just totally into it. And a lot of that goes back to Josh. If you've ever met Josh Kennedy or if you know him or know him from his films, he he has this love of genre cinema, of classic genre cinema. And it's. He just loves creating and and making the films that he makes 
he could probably get a job in Hollywood or New York City or wherever, but that's not what he wants to do. He wants to do the projects that he believes in. Mm -hmm. And he has such a, a fantastic way of expressing himself and just his creativity and his, his positivity and his enthusiasm that Veronica constantly told me how much she loved Josh and loved working with him. And she wanted to work with him again. The way Veronica phrased it to me was when we all get back together again. And what she meant by that is everybody in the house, the, the, the group that worked on house of the Gordon, uh, Gorgon, Gordon, you know, Caroline Monroe, Martin Beswick, she always said when we get back together again, she never said if we get back together again, that was the one thing she really, really wanted to do was to work with Josh again and to see Caroline and Martine again <clears throat> in real life. Yeah. Because they corresponded, of course. Right. And unfortunately we, Josh had planned to go to England and we were all going to go to England in 2020. And well, unfortunately that never, that never handed out. Yeah, pandemic uh, interfered with real life. I saw House of the Gorgon when it was screened at Monster Bash. I really didn't expect much going in. And then I came away after seeing it and said, this is pretty darn good. I mean, he didn't have much money to work with. No. It's really an overachieving film. And he let these actors kind of do their thing, which is a smart thing to do when you have veteran actors like Monroe and Beswick and Neem and... And of course, Veronica Carlson, it's a pretty good movie. Really came out well. Well, um, I'm definitely going to tell him that you said that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I, once again, he only had a week. And that has to do with the fact that the stars could only be there for a certain amount of time. Caroline and Martine live in England. I believe Christopher Neem lives in New York. <clears throat> and Veronica lived in South Carolina. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I think Josh could only have the event center for a, about a week. And he was kind of, uh, he was pretty wore out at the end of all of that. I'm sure. But it, it was definitely worth it. And I, I know he's going to be annoyed by me bringing this up again. But he really does need to put that on Blu-ray and hopefully he will. <clears throat> it's. I don't know if I should say this or not, but it tentatively, I think they're going to show it again <clears throat> at the fall monster bash. So, okay. Cause I know people keep on asking me, well, you know, can I get this on Blu-ray? Can I get this on streaming? Can I get, this? and he only made so many DVDs and uh, they're all gone. Yeah. So it has been shown on British television. There's a, uh, I think it's a network called talking pictures TV out of Britain. Yeah. It's kind of like me TV and Caroline Monroe hosts a show and they show monster and it's, he's, she's almost like a Sven in a way. Yeah. And they actually showed it a couple of times. So. Well, the year that it was screened at monster bash, Caroline Monroe was supposed to be there, but she was ill. Yeah. And couldn't make it. So I never had a chance to meet her. Uh, tell us what Caroline Monroe is like. She's just an absolute sweetheart. I mean, she really is. I mean, she's just absolutely nicest person in the world. Um, you think that they're going to have some kind of attitude or at least something or I mean, because just like Veronica, she was an absolutely gorgeous woman and she still is. But it, she is just an absolute sweetheart. <clears throat> now, Martine, 
Mar- Martine's a sweetheart too, but Martine definitely has uh she still acts like a teenager so yeah. martine has a bit more of a spunk i should say than than the, than the other two ladies it was it was great watching them all interact with each other and how and how their personalities were it was really fun i saw martine speak at i think it was that year's monster bash as well and she talked about working on the film which is a really good movie dr jekyll and sister hyde yeah and she had to deal with a director um Roy Baker, I believe, is his yeah, name. Yeah, Roy, Roy Ward Baker. Yeah, he was not uh, an easy man to work for. He wanted her to, I guess, be topless in some scenes and do some things that she was really not anticipating. And I guess she at one point kind of walked out on the set until they could renegotiate better terms. She really stood up to him. Yeah, Mar- Martine is somebody uh, you don't want to be in her bad side or mess with her. She's definitely a very um straightforward you know tell it like it is person uh, like i said she's she's wonderful to be with but she's definitely going to stand up for herself she's she has that definite spunk what when you see her on the screen when you see her like fighting raquel welch or in one million years bc or in some of the other movies she's she's she definitely has a strong personality yeah and then the other actor from that film, House of the Gorgon, uh, Christopher Neem. Uh, I've met mm-hmm. him and complimented him on his work in the movie. And he was great in Dracula AD 1972. Oh, yeah. I, I think, card. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the, the best Hammer for performances. And, and there's some people, some Hammer fans that think, oh, he's just way, way over the top. But look at it this way. He's in a film with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. If he didn't play it that way, he would he would have gotten just blown out of the water i mean he just took it and ran with it and once again you you have to take it into the context it was made in the early 1970s so that that's i think where he was you know and i'm sure when when he was on that film he's probably thinking to himself I'm, i gotta deal with cushing and lee how can i how can i i don't think he was trying to compete with them but at the same time he had to do something to make that character stand out what's he like it was interesting about Christopher Neem. I really didn't get a chance to talk to him or 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 interact with him all that much because he was so into his role on House of the Gorgon. He would go off by himself and he would just kind of like stay away from everybody. And he wasn't being mean or being unsocial. It's just that's how he was as an actor. That That's how he prepared as an actor. And that that really that really impressed me, because once again, this is a movie where some people might say or some people have said oh it's it's got no money it's not like an official film and and he and he took it absolutely dead serious i mean he he would you know somebody would say well where is chris at oh well he's off you know kind of meditating and, and thinking about what he's what he's going to do and preparing himself and i was like you know that wow you know that's that, that's something uh, yeah you expect it if you're making a hundred million dollar film where you're doing Shakespeare on Broadway or something, but you know, and, and he wasn't doing it as a, like a joke or trying to show off that that was just his, his way as an actor of preparing. Yeah. It's a sign of a true professional. You put a hundred percent effort into the film, you know, no matter whether it's big budget or small budget, no matter what your salary might be. Uh, you know, Bella Lugosi was like that. He, you know, whether the films were good or not, Bella always, gave everything that he had 
the the effort was there, and a lot of times his performances would would shine above what the film itself might have been. You mentioned earlier, Dan, that you had a chance to meet John Saxon. I guess at your first Monster Bash. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, uh, I asked him about Mario Bava, and, and he just like brightened up. He's like. Mario Bava, oh man, well, he, he was something, you know, and he was talking about how when he, when John Saxon, when he worked in Italy for a time and he talked about how, you know, he was driving around the sports car and he was enjoying, you know, La Dolce Vita and, and just how great it was to work in Italy and what, what a innovative person Mario Bava was. I didn't talk, I didn't talk to Mr. Saxon a lot. I mean, that's that's the one thing at Monster Bash. You don't want to take up too much of the time of these people because there's always somebody behind you. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of rude to just, you know, you know, take over somebody's time. But I, I did was able to talk to him a little bit about uh, Mario Bava. So I, 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 I thought I mean, and John Saxon, if, if you watch me TV, I think he shows up at least once a week on one of those TV shows they have. He was in everything in the 1970s. Yeah. All sorts of TV shows and movies. Uh, I mean, he was in um, High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood. Right. But I I love the fact that I met somebody that actually worked with Mario Bava. I mean, that that's uh, unfortunately nowadays that's that's an extremely rare thing. He was in a lot of great horror films, uh, Black Christmas. He was in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, he also did a lot of non-horror films, too. Like you mentioned, he was in Enter the Dragon with Bruce mm -hmm. Lee. I mean, that must have been an amazing experience. His characters were always so hard edged and you can't help when you see an actor in those roles again and again, you think, well, maybe that's how they are in real life. Was it was it intimidating at all to meet him thinking that, you know, he no, might like he, he was very he was very personable and he, and he seemed happy to be there. And like I said, he, you know, he would, would talk to anybody or something if you'd ask him a question. I, I think what would brighten him up about me talking about Mario Bava is I think most of the people there were talking to him about the, the main stuff, you know, enter the dragon and high plains drifter. And I think the fact that I said something about Mario Bava, I, yeah. he was like, Oh wow. You know, he's asked me a question about Mario Bava. So that, that's always, you know, I think, I mean, you know, when you meet somebody like that, obviously the first thing that comes to your mind is the most famous thing they did or the most famous role they have. Um, I've gotten enough conventions and met enough of these people that I think, if you ask them something, I wouldn't say off kilter or off center, but if you ask them about a a movie or a TV show that they usually don't get to talk about, they they brighten up really quick. Sure. Any other actors or actresses that you've met at Monster Bash uh, who really left a mark with you? Mm, I'm trying to think because I've met so many. I, I I met you know I met Julie Adams, which was absolutely amazing, and and she was really really nice. Um, but the thing of it was, because there were so many people at her table, I didn't want to, once again, I didn't want to be that guy who just stands there and just goes on and on. Cause you have people behind you want to meet her too. So I didn't get a chance to really, really discuss her career or anything. Um, here's a story that I know you'll appreciate Bruce. I met Patrick Wayne a couple of years ago. And when I went up to his table, Patrick Wayne, the son of John Wayne, I was wearing, uh, my usual monster bash uniform, which is a Peter Cushing shirt and a white Sox hat. And he looks at the shirt and he goes, nice shirt. And I'm like, Oh wow. Patrick Wayne likes Peter Cushing. And he looks at my hat and he starts talking about baseball because Patrick Wayne is a Dodgers fan. And I had all these questions I wanted to ask him about 
you know, his dad, Jimmy Stewart, Maureen O'Hara. And I never got a chance to do it because we, we spent 10 minutes talking about Major League Baseball, which I guess is pretty cool. I mean, I how many times can you say you talk baseball with John Wayne's son? So, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. One of the first people I met at Monster Bash was Victoria Price. I, and, and I have spoken Vincent about Price. baseball with Victoria Price. Yeah. She likes baseball better than horror. She at one oh, point, yeah. you know, I told her I worked at the Hall of Fame and we were trying to work something out where she would come up and visit and it it didn't quite work out that way, but she was really into baseball, still is, and mm-hmm. she said her father was a huge fan too, which I did not yes. know. Yeah, and her uh biography of her father which i have and i got her to sign him at the monster bash she told all these stories about going to dodgers games and how i guess when her father was near the end of his life vincent price when he was really ill and sort of bedridden he was the one thing he would do would listen to the dodger games on the radio and listen to vin scully so when i met victoria price and josh kennedy was with me i started talking baseball with her and we just talked you know for about five ten minutes and after we left the table, Josh looked at me and he goes, I cannot believe you spent all, all that time talking Major League Baseball with Vincent Price's daughter. <laughs> I said, well, Josh, that's, you know, that sport. I mean, because Josh is not a sports fan. And I said, sometimes, you know, sports opens up a lot more doors than you think. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Dan, you mentioned a few moments ago, Julie Adams, who, of course, was one of the stars from Creature from the Black Lagoon. We're coming up on the 70th anniversary of that film here in February of 2024. Uh, one of the people that was a regular, uh, at least a couple of times that he was at Monster Bash, was Rico Browning, who just passed yes. away last year. Uh, did you ever meet Rico? Yeah, I did. I met him. Um, he he was a he's a nice guy, very very quiet. You know, he wasn't, uh, shall we say, a... Uh, um, very talkative but i mean he, he he was a decent you know decent guy I talked to him a little bit i told him um because my dad lives in uh fernadina beach florida amelia island i asked him if he'd ever been there because and of course oh yeah he, he knew all about it because i think that was his rico browning's base was florida because i think if you know about rico browning i think he had his own little uh production film company where he would he would do underwater shots for people because I believe he even worked on he did the underwater stuff for Thunderball. Hmm. So, yeah, I got, a I got phenomenal swimmer. And he actually did a program at Monster Bash and his recall of events from almost seven decades ago was was pretty darn amazing. Uh, it was I had never met him, but I did get a chance to see him speak and um, to see the last of the Universal Monsters. He was the last surviving mm-hmm. monster from those great films. Yeah, it was really a thrill. It really was. Yeah, and that that's the the great thing about Monster Bash is you're you're meeting people and sadly a lot of the people that I've met at Monster Bash have since passed away and that's why you know, I I understand with economics and everything, especially the way things are going on in the world right now, some people just aren't able to make it to these conventions, but I always tell people if if you can do it you know, do it because unfortunately you, you never know, you may never get a chance to meet these type of people ever again. Absolutely. Now, a particular interest to you, Dan, are Hammer films, which of course were a real staple in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Hammer first delved into horror and sci-fi with the 1955 movie, The Quatermass Experiment. 
And then it really kind of turned to classic horror with its release of The Curse of Frankenstein, which came out in 1957. And then after that, they did uh, Horror of Dracula. And with Curse of Frankenstein, this was Hammer really delving into those old black and white classics from Universal, offering their own interpretations. They would film them in full color and put some variety of twists and turns into the plots. And the end result was really a series of some well-done, stylized films uh, in the 50s, the 60s, and 70s. And you particularly like a lot of these movies, and I wanted to get your thoughts on some of your favorite Hammer productions. We're going to talk about four that you indicated you really liked. We're going to start with the least known of the four, an underrated movie, which came out in 1966, Plague of the Zombies. Yeah, uh, when people think of zombies nowadays, obviously it's George Romero and and The Walking Dead and and that sort of thing. Um, Plague of the Zombies is, is very interesting because it's set in what I call Hammerland, which is this 19th century. It's either England or Central Europe. Even if it is in Europe, everybody has a British accent. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it, everybody looks British. Nobody, it, nobody looks Central European. But but that's the whole. That's the whole thing about hammer is that you 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 buy into it you you and i mean you don't nitpick it you just accept it for what it is that's that's what makes hammer hammer um it's the same sets you know this bray studios black park the forest that the carriages always go through but that's what hammer fans love is to watch that stuff over and over again and see the same thing but plague of the zombies is really great it was directed by john gilling He's not as famous as Terrence Fisher or Freddie Francis, but John Gilling directed a number of Hammer films and non-Hammer horror films that are actually very good. Um, the best Burke and Hare movie, in my opinion, was The Flesh and the Fiends. It has a couple of other titles as well. That was not a Hammer film, but it stars Peter Cushing as Dr. Knox. That was directed, I believe, is also written by John Gilling. Mm. He was uh, a very good craftsman. Um, like I said... It, what the thing you have to remember about hammer films they were made for a certain budget and they only had a certain amount of time to do them so it wasn't like you're going to get stanley kubrick or roman polanski or somebody to get in there they they wanted somebody who just wanted to they they wanted a good film but they didn't want somebody who's going to go off on some sort of bizarre tangent and spend too much money or take too much time they they had very specific things that they wanted done and Gilling knew that he worked for Hammer for a number of years. He knew what needed to be done and he needed he knew how to make a film that showcased what Hammer wanted. Mm. And Plague of the Zombies doesn't another reason it doesn't get a lot of attention. It doesn't have Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee. It doesn't have one of the the big Hammer ladies. Um it stars Andre Morel, a very great British supporting actor who he's in Bridge of the, on the River Kwai. I think he's in summertime with Catherine Hepburn he was a friend of David Lean's but he did a lot of work for Hammer and he's one of these great British character actors that that Hammer used over and over again because they knew these guys would come in they would know their lines they would give a a good a, an excellent performance they didn't have to worry about them causing trouble or or complaining or or screwing things up on the set they they needed professionals and Andre Morel was certainly that and he plays a kind of um not so much a Sherlock Holmes, but a professor doctor type of character who finds out about this uh, 
outbreak of zombies in a Cornish tin mine. And uh, John Carson, another great British character actor, and John Carson, his problem was, it wasn't so much a problem, but he sounded just like James Mason. If you watch a movie that John Carson is in, you close your eyes, you swear you're listening to James Mason. <laughs> so I'm sure that that probably didn't do his career very good, or maybe it did, I'm not sure. But John Carson is is the aristocratic villain. Hammer had so many of these aristocratic, uh, handsome, dark type of villains that you know were using the villagers to for for some nefarious purpose, and they were always after the the beautiful Hammer heroine. Excuse me. Now, Plague of Zombies is really fun, and and it it has a really spooky scene set in a graveyard where the zombies rise up, and it, it's way this was before night of the living dead yeah um it's really pretty much ahead of its time i think in the portrayal of zombies yeah absolutely one of the things i really like about it it has just this wonderful atmosphere a lot of it appears to have been filmed at twilight mm -hmm. maybe i'm imagining that but it just seems i think like there's a lot of twilight. day i think there's a lot of day for night there as well and you also have to remember I've never actually been to England, which I, you know, that's definitely number one on the bucket list. But from what I've been told, and I think Veronica told this to me, 99% of the time in England, the skies are gray. So it may not have been day for night. It may have just have yeah. been, oh, we're outside. It's, it's gray out. But um, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're what you're referring to in Plague of the Zombies. It definitely has this kind of uh, gray. It's not really morning. It's not really afternoon. It's just kind of, you know neutral look about it yeah very underrated movie next on your list is a real classic from hammer came out in 1958 some consider it to be hammer's finest horror film and that's horror of dracula yeah that that's the one i think even non-hammer fans uh know about that's considered the the greatest hammer film um very first hammer dracula movie very first time christopher lee plays dracula very first time peter cushing plays dr van helsing i mean it it's you know basically all there whenever somebody tells me well you know what hammer fan should i what hammer films should i watch for the very first time i i tell them well you either start out with a curse of frankenstein because that's really where gothic hammer began or you go with horror of dracula which was called Dracula in England. I mean, I used to, I always call it horror of Dracula because that's, you know, how I know it. And I'm an American. So that, that was the title in America. So sure. And the, the, the climax of horror of Dracula is not just one of the best climaxes of any horror movie. I think it's one of the best climaxes of any film period. That's the scene where they're in um, like a mansion and Cushing takes what the candlesticks and the, the, the candlesticks and he forms a cross to force Lee back into the sunlight and Lee disintegrates. And the, the editing on that is, is just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's true. One of the things that surprised me when I first saw that movie is how few lines Christopher Lee had. He didn't speak yeah. very much. Yeah, it's funny. Um I wrote my blog one time. I compared Christopher Lee's Dracula to Darth Vader. And I, and actually that, you know, I'm sure somebody out there is like, what is he talking about? But that, that's actually a very good comparison, I think, because both characters have very limited screen time. I think somebody said in Horror of Dracula, Lee is only in the movie like maybe 10 minutes, maybe even less than that. And you don't think about it that way because his his overall presence is so great. You assume he's in the movie constantly, but it's just like Darth Vader. 
Darth Vader in the Star Wars films, the real Star Wars films, the original trilogy, he has very little screen time. Yeah. But it's it's that overall presence that makes him such a powerful character. And that's that's the thing about Lee is that Lee could just stand perfectly still and he could totally dominate a scene. Yeah, absolutely. It was also pretty nice to see Peter Cushing when he was younger and more athletic. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he appeared to do a lot of his own stunts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really dynamic in that movie. Well, he tried to do that in all of his films. And uh, Peter Cushing is my favorite actor of all time. And the main reason for that is it, it's it's fun to watch him because he takes these roles where usually, you know, the older professor type doctor type, you know, usually just stands around. And in Universal, they would get a younger guy, you know, to do all the action stuff or to do all the heroic stuff or be the romantic leading man. But Cushing never played it. You know, Cushing basically played it like he was le- which he was. He was the leading man. You know, he didn't just tell somebody how to fight the monster. He went out and fought the monster. Like I always tell people, the thing about Peter Cushing is in Horror of Dracula, he doesn't run away from vampires. He runs after vampires. (laughs) He goes after vampires in hand-to-hand combat, which when you think about it, isn't exactly the smartest idea in the world. But because it's Peter Cushing, you you totally buy into it. It's like, yeah, you know, go get him because that's that's what he did. That's in every single movie, even when he's older in Dracula 80, 1972, he goes right after Christopher Lee. It, it takes some gumption to go after Christopher Lee, especially yeah. when he's Dracula. The next film is actually one I have to admit I've not seen. Uh, I've, I've heard of it and I know a little bit about it, but it's Quatermass in the Pit, which came out in 1967. First off, tell me, what's the, what's the storyline? What's the plot here? Well, Quatermass in the Pit, that's the third Hammer. That's the third Quatermass film that Hammer made. They're all based on television miniseries that were written by a British author by the name of Nigel Neal. And these are that's basically where Hammer Horror started because the Quatermass experiment got a lot of publicity for the BBC when they ran it. So Hammer did the film version of that, and that basically started Hammer not on the English Gothic, but started them on science fiction and horror. And they did Quatermass 2, which was back in the 1950s. They always meant to do Quatermass in the pit. For whatever reason, Hammer never got around to it. They just couldn't fit it into their schedule. And Quatermass in the pit, the movie version, which was written by Nigel Neal, he adapted his TV miniseries. And I did, I have seen the TV miniseries. Josh Kennedy bought it for me as a Christmas present one year. And it's pretty good. But to me, I think the, the film version is a lot better because Nigel Neal, took the miniseries and he and he basically pared it down to its basic its best parts they're doing uh some construction in the uh british underground railway and they come upon a spaceship and you find out that the the martians have essentially colonized earth about milton thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago and technically we are the martians that's that's a famous line from quatermass in the pit and it was directed by Roy Ward Baker. And it, it's not a, a hammer gothic. It's set in contemporary times, 1960s England. But but the way it's done, it's it's done totally straight. There, there's no sense of, you know, this is a joke. Ha this is funny. That That's one of the great things about Hammer. Not all their films are great. Some of their films are sometimes unintentionally funny, but they they did everything in a totally straight manner. 
And uh, Quatermass in the Pit is considered by a lot of people to be one of the best science fiction films of all time. That just hammer films. And uh, mm. yeah, Bruce, if you get a chance to, to watch it, I know TCM shows it every so often. It, it, it really is a great film. Yeah. Now, Quatermass is a professor, a scientist. Yeah. And he's very hard line, very serious, doesn't have a lot of patience with other people, right? Yeah. In the first two films, he was played by Brian Donlevy, uh, the American character actor, because back in those days in the 1950s, Hammer tried to get an American. It was usually a fading American actor. But they would try to get an American actor to headline their films so they could get, you know, get it shown in America, get it shown in the United States. And once they started doing the English gothics and they used Cushing and Lee, they sort of had their own stars, their own repertory company. They didn't really deal with, you know, getting American actors in Quatermass in the Pit. He's played Quatermass is played by Andrew Keir, um, a Scottish actor. He He's he was in a ton of movies like i think he's in cleopatra i think he's in um fall of the roman empire things like that but andrew keir um he plays quatermass a little bit i wouldn't say softer but a little bit uh more uh personable than than brian donlevy did okay um so it's it's always an apocalyptic film in a way kind of um i don't want to tell everything about it for people that haven't seen it because i really i really you know that to me is one of the best hammer films it's it's just the way it's done um you totally believe the situation and and the way neil wrote it the just the idea of the fact that you know we may be descended not from apes but from aliens i i know a lot of tv shows and a lot of movies have done that i know x files uh somebody said that X-Files is basically Nigel Neal on steroids. And that that's a pretty good way of thinking of it. Yeah. But, um, and of course, Nigel Neal doesn't get a lot of credit, especially in America. And most Americans don't even know who he is, but it, it, it's a great science fiction film. Cause it makes you think, yeah. and that that's what the best science fiction films do. Well, I did watch the trailer a couple of times and it, it seemed like a pretty frenetic and frenzied film. So I'm looking forward yeah. to watching that. Again, that's Quatermass and the Pit from 1967. And then the one final Hammer film we wanted to talk about with you, Dan, is really an underrated movie. Uh, one of the better vampire films that Hammer produced. And from 1960, it's Brides of Dracula. Yeah, that's my favorite Hammer film of all time. And I think the main reason for that is that's my favorite Peter Cushing performance. You know, he, Dracula is not in The Price of Dracula. And I know some people just, that drives drives them crazy. There's, um, at the beginning of the film, there's some narration. And it says, Dracula, king of all vampires, is dead. <laughs> and every time I hear that, I, I want to say the end. You know, it's like the meme where you just put the end and that's it. And I'm sure people watch the film for the first time. They're like, well, if Dracula's dead, why do they call? It's about a disciple of Dracula. And but the 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 lead character of the story is Van Helsing. I mean, they they probably should have called the film Van Helsing. Of course, back then they they weren't thinking of it that way. They just wanted to make another Dracula movie. And there's all sorts of legends and urban legends about, well, why didn't they have Christopher Lee? And uh, I, we I, we could spend three hours talking about that. Who knows what the real story is behind that? But to me, 
that that to me is the ultimate Peter Cushing role. That that's in my mind, that's what I think of when I think of Peter Cushing. I mean, he's he's the monster fighter. He's the guy that you know he's going to go out and defeat evil. And if he has to, once again, if he has to go out and fight vampires in hand to hand combat, that's what he's going to do. And the way he does it, he, he as Bruce has said, he's so dynamic and, and he's so charismatic. He uh, yeah, you know, Cushing was trained on the British stage. So he's very articulate. He's very precise in his diction and his dialogue, but he has this physicality that enables him to enhance whatever he does. He's he's not just a British stage actor. Who's just going to stand around and, 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 you know, look cool and have perfect manners. He's going to go out. And like I said, he did most of his own stunts. If, if he was able to do so, he would do it. That's what he preferred to do. Um, I think, Peter Cushing's the greatest monster fighter in movie history. And that, that covers a lot of ground, but in, in brides of Dracula, he's just, I think he's just fantastic. It's it's that's my favorite role of his. And it's brides of Dracula to me also, that's the epitome of hammer films. The, the color, the cinematography by Jack Asher, that was the, he was the cinematographer that worked on all the early great Gothic hammers and Hammer unfortunately quit using him because he took too long, which once again, that just shows you how limited the budget and limited the shooting times were on these Hammer films. Yeah. Um, the art direction by Bernard Robinson. Um, it, it's it's just just a, the, the look of the film. It, it's especially if you see it on Blu-ray or you see a remastered version. I think even when Svengoolie shows it, he shows like the new remastered version of it. And it, it just looks absolutely fantastic. If, if once again, if somebody said, what is your definition of hammer films? I would say the brides of Dracula, even though Christopher Lee's not in it. Yeah. Uh, no Lee, no Dracula, but David Peel is the lead vampire, a little known actor, surprisingly yeah. good here. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a Baron Meinster and he's, uh, his, his vampire is very different than the Christopher Lee interpretation, which had to be, you know, if, if, if he tries to be Christopher Lee, it's not going to work. So they came up with something different. And um, once again, I don't want to give too way too much of the storyline, but it's just the way the story works and, and how he, the Baron Meister is how he's able to worm his way into what he needs to do and the whole confrontation between him and Cushing at the end, it, it, it has a burning windmill. I mean, what, what more Gothic can you get than that? I I'm sure Tim Burton, you know, sleepy hollow. I'm sure he, he was a brides of Dracula fan. So. Oh, nice. I, this has been so interesting. Um, I I'll be honest. I have a lot of catching up to do on hammer horror films i i have made notes as you can tell notes as you've been talking so my watch list is now growing so i think my my movie that i'm gonna watch is the quarter mass and the pit just because i'm so into sci-fi so i think i'll start with that one on my watch list so that's been awesome um can you maybe just take a few minutes and chat with us about your blog like tell us what it's called yeah and how you got started into blog writing well um my sister-in-law heather my brother robert's wife um she told me this is like 10 years ago she said you know you're such a movie buff why don't you write a movie blog and i'm like god there's so many of these things it's like what you know why and 
I just started writing it and I think I've got like over 1200 entries, which is, um, I'm kind of like, wow, you know, I wrote so many of these things and I sometimes wonder if somebody actually reads it, but I've, I've made some connections. Uh, that's basically how Josh Kennedy and I got to really know one another. Oh, wow. Um, it's called the hitless wonder movie blog. Um, that's a baseball reference. If I'm a white Sox fan and, the 1906 White Sox were known as the Hitless Wonders because their batting average was terrible. They barely scored any runs. But this is 1906, and as Bruce will tell you, they basically used the same ball and the same, you know, throughout the entire game. It's, it was called the dead ball era. But anyway, the, the Hitless Wonder was just something I came up with. You, you got to call your blog something, and I wanted to do something original and, and sort of off off kilter, and that, that's what I came up with, so. Oh, very nice. Oh, how cool. So you've, you've been spending time on that. Um, do you, do you do any other like hobbies? Is there anything else that, that you would like to chat about to promote your work, the stuff that you do? Um, well, I, I, you know, collect stuff. Um, you might see it behind me, uh, you know, figurines. Uh, I spend way too much money on Blu-rays and DVDs. Um, I've done some voice work for Josh Kennedy and his films. I was in how a very, very, very small part in House of the Gorgon. Um, I'd like to do some more of that. Anybody needs a goofy looking guy from Indiana, I'm available. But <laughs> yeah, I, basically, I'm just like a, a regular. If there is such a thing as a regular geek, I, I guess that's me, you know. Huh. That's a good term, though. Yeah. We can be geeks together. Yeah. I'm I'm a big sci-fi geek too. So the, the the one thing I do have to say about the blog, I don't just write about science fiction and horror films. It's it's just whatever films you know happen to I happen to see, or just something that piques right. my interest. Or and I try I try to keep it concise. I what because one of the things I know when people read something on a screen, whether it be on a laptop or an iPhone or whatever, they have a tendency to scan through it. So the more and more words you put on it, you, you, you know, people are just going to like, you know, just going to blow it off or just going to scan through it. So I, I try to be as concise as possible. The, the more wordy, and I've read some people's blogs where they just go on and on and on. So I try to, you know, I, I try to stay away from any flowery language. I'm not, I'm not going to be like HP Lovecraft and, you know, use some, some word where you have to go in the dictionary and look at it. So I, I try to stick to the basics. For those who want to read the blog, they can Google Hitless Wonder Movie Blog, or they can go to the URL, which is dandayjr35.blogspot.com. And I'll read that one more time. DanDayJR35.blogspot.com. Now, Dan, I know what the 35 means. And I figured you did. might know. What, what, what is the 35 for? That's for my favorite baseball player of all time, the greatest White Sox of all time, Frank Thomas, the big hurt. Yeah. You ever met him? Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've met everybody except the people I haven't met. So, but no, I've, I've, I've met Frank Thomas and here's some trivia for you. Um, Peter Cushing was born on May 26. Christopher Lee, Vincent Price and Frank Thomas were born on May 27. Wow. So. <laughs> oh, interesting. 
Yeah, for those who believe in numerology, there's something <laughs> to that there. Yeah. But no, that, that question that Frank, Frank Thomas's uniform number, I, I probably didn't even mention that. 35 yeah, was, 35. Frank, was Frank yeah. Thomas's number. All right, Dan, last question. This year's Monster Bash coming up in July. It's the weekend of July 19th to the 21st. You planning to be there? Yeah, I'm planning to be on uh, at both Monster Bashes. Uh, I think I can say this now because it's on the Monster Bash website. The Fall Monster Bash, which is the weekend of November 1st to the 3rd, Joshua Kennedy is going to be an official guest. Nice. And tentatively, I think they are going to show House of the Gorgon again. So I'm definitely going to be there for that. And I, I definitely plan on being in, in the one in July. Well, I have to miss the one in July because that happens to be Hall of Fame weekend. And yeah. my boss is not going to let me out of that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I could understand that. Yeah. Nobody nobody gets out of Hall of Fame weekend. Uh, but I, I'm hoping to make it to the November one and uh, maybe get a chance to meet uh, Josh if you'll introduce me. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you'll 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 definitely notice his presence at Red Monster Bash. He hasn't been to one in a couple of years, and you know the ones that I've been to. You know, the first thing people tell me because they a lot of people know me through my friendship with Josh because for a long time, um, Josh and I would share a room at Monster Bash, and they always tell me, "Where's Josh at? Where's Josh? Where's Josh?" And he's got so many things going on. Um, you know, he's a filmmaker and uh, he's actually, I think, teaching film at, at his local college, I believe, in nice. Edinburgh. So, but yeah, he's going to be an official guest. And anybody wants to meet him or if, if anybody wants to see me at Monster Bash, if I'm the one guy wearing a White Sox hat. So that's that's me or the Peter Cushing shirt. I, it's, it's what I call my convention shirt. I, I wear the Peter Cushing shirt like just about every convention I've been to. And uh, the first G-Fest I went to, the Godzilla convention in Chicago, I wore the Peter Cushing shirt. And I'm not making this up. There were a couple people that literally walked up to me and shook my hand because I was wearing a Peter Cushing shirt. Nice. So Nice. Well, Dan, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate your time over this past hour. Uh, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed it. And I, I'd love to come back whenever you whatever you need me if I haven't ruined the show already. So no, we, we You've ruined the fun. show weeks ago. So <laughs> we're, we're well past that. Uh, no, okay. you did a great job. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Uh, our guest this week again has been writer, blogger and hammer films enthusiast, Dan day. And uh, someone that you might just meet at monster bash. If you go to that event coming up in Pennsylvania, it's really a great convention. Ron Adams and his crew do a wonderful job. We thank Dan for being with us. Of course, we thank uh, Tracy Asteria, co-host and producer, for being with us as well. We thank all of you for joining us in this Museum of the Macabre. And we hope we'll see you again next time right here in the Ghostly Gallery. <laughs>